He's launched Progressly, really wants to be the operating platform or the system of record for folks, uh, companies, and their process, all the processes they run through all their employee set or vendors or, uh, or contractors, things like that. They've got a team of 30, again, focused on this problem, raised $10 million, serving hundreds of customers with less than 10,000 uh, seats served, less than 300,000 bucks in MR. But his goal is to hit a $5 million annual run rate by the end of 2017. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two to in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 unit sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. This is episode 767. Coming up tomorrow morning, you're gonna learn from Martin Kopelman I asked him, I said, Martin, in a mature crypto market, who gets rich? Who makes the money? He tells me an answer. Tune in to find out. Hello, everybody. Good morning. My guest today is Nick Candito. He's the chief executive officer and co-founder of a company called Progressly, championing the company's mission towards becoming the new standard for how teams <coughs> find and execute business processes. He previously served as Relate IQ's head of user success and business operations, which was acquired by Salesforce.com as the first automatic and intelligent CRM solution. Nick founded Progressly to address how large industries operate, innovate, and share around core business processes. Nick, are you ready to take us to the top. Hey everyone, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Real quick, before we get into Progressly, who's gonna win? Who's gonna win the CRM space? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I am a a big supporter of Salesforce.com. We use Salesforce within our company, and I think there's a lot of technology tied to the related IQ acquisition that makes that a pretty exciting play. And I I have not taken my eye off what LinkedIn uh, and Microsoft are going to be able to do together. Where I've I've heard some good things about dynamics, so it'll definitely be a race to the finish. Let me re-ask that question. That sounds good for the enterprise space, but if I asked you to pick a baby in the SMB space, who would you pick? So think like uh, CRM ARPUs like under a hundred bucks per month. Yeah, I was always impressed by base CRM. Yep. Um, they were they were the one that we were kind of keeping an eye on at Relate IQ. We launched the company, um, and we had some massive differentiators, and they closed the gap on us pretty quickly. Um, and I also know the team over at uh, Social Capital that that works really closely with them, Mamoon and team. Um, so I think they're they're one to keep your eye out for. Very cool. Okay, take us into your story here. So was uh, was Relate IQ kind of your first kind of tech exposure, or did you have your own thing before that, or what's the story there great question yeah i had um i kind of stumbled into tech in all honesty where i was a finance major and i was thinking about what i wanted to do and if i wanted to kind of stay on the east coast and go do the new york boston um, finance game um, and really just optimized for the best team that I, I could find so i ended up joining a very small software team that was based in central massachusetts um, and we were building technology for the pharmaceutical industry so think of it as like a crm for clinical trials um, and that was the first time that i really got to see what it could be like building technology for large companies um, and it also kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the things that were very very manual within these companies where Externally, they had built efficiencies. Internally, it was it was a lot of paper, it was a lot of Excel, um, it was a lot of emails, kind of back and forth. That that didn't help it didn't help people to get things done very efficiently. And what moved you from that into Relate IQ? So uh, I actually thought about. Um, 
taking a pass at, at my first kind of entrepreneurial journey right after that, decided to run operations at another company in Boston. Um, and we were actually doing really well, a close partnership with- Which company? With, uh, it was called Crimson Hexagon. Okay. Um, and they're still doing very well in Boston. Stephanie Newby uh, was the CEO that I worked I worked for, and um, she was world-class in my opinion. So I, I learned a ton from her around what it looked like to kind of take a company from where we were to the next level. And I implemented a lot of tools like salesforce.com um, in Jira. And what I saw is that I, I felt like as the person who decides on a lot of those technologies, your evaluation criteria is much, much different than the people who actually use it. Um, and what excited me about Relate IQ is we were really thinking about how we could build a sales system of engagement. Um, and I think the way to think about that is, you know, you gotta have social features, um, you gotta work well with data, and you really just have to kind of tie into how people are gonna need to be doing their job day in and day out. Were you early enough at Relate IQ to get, you know, equity to the point where the Salesforce exit was financially actually meaningful for you? Or no, you just really learned from the experience and now you're going to do your own thing? No, it was definitely meaningful. Um, and, you know, still a shareholder in Crimson Hexagon, so one of their yep. biggest cheerleaders. Um, but yeah, that was a phenomenal ride. I learned a ton. Steve Steve Laughlin was our, our founder and CEO. Adam Evans was our founder and CTO. Um, I thought the two of them were probably the best founding duo that I had I'd ever come across and I was fortunate to, to work very closely and actually report to Adam for a period of time. So, um, not only did it kind of help me financially to be able to take the jump for progressively, um, but I also felt like the playbook that those guys ran made, made a ton of sense to me. What number were you employee wise there? Uh, I think I was employee number 21. Okay. And very at, cool. that, at that point, yeah, we were, we were kind of hiring pretty quickly. Um, the person who referred me to the company ended up being the first kind of non- technical hire, non-product hire that they made. So I ended up being the second, started on the same day um, as our VP of sales. So it was a, it was a, it was a fun ride. Together. You're, you're surrounded on day one by all the, all the tech guys going, screw you and everything that the customers say they want. And you're like, they said they'd buy if we have this, how do we get it built? And it's the constant debate, right? Yeah. It turns out it was pretty helpful to have some people that know sales and know what sales reps yeah. want in the company. So I think hopefully it helped us close the gap on what eventually became a big driver around our success. Okay, Progressly, what's it doing? How do you make money? So you can think of us as the operational system of records. Um, and the way I kind of think about enterprise today is that um, all of these large organizations, they're all using Microsoft products. They have a CRM tool, which is your customer system of record. They have an HCM tool, which is your employee system of record. And then they typically have some, some notion of ERP in the building. So an SAP and Oracle. Um, and we really see it as an opportunity to build the system of record for Fortune 1000 CLOs, where we especially like the industry profile, where it's an extended value chain. So I think energy and utilities, transportation, consumer packaged goods, even government, um, there are a ton of people who work outside the building that need to be in the loop around what's getting done. And if you want to make optimizations around how people can actually work better and stay connected, um, there's really no way to do that today. So, so we, you know, pretty simply kind of have a mobile first strategy where we, we typically really help the people who are in the field again, not in front of computers every day. And we connect the data that they need access to and the information that they need to submit all the way back up to what, what a COO could be making decisions around. Um, you know, we kind of have a standard SaaS licensing model um, around that. 
and give me just a general sense of kind of kind of customer size here. Are they, I mean, are they paying on average a grand per month, or you know, ten thousand per month, or a million per month? What's the general ARPU? Yeah, um, you know, ARPU varies quite a bit. I think you know, we we work with some of the biggest companies in the world. Um, Shell Oil is one of our big supporters, and we should have some news coming on that. Um, and then we also kind of have a mid-market segment. I think if you look at um, energy, it, it can kind of be skewed in terms of how big the companies are and what yeah. they do from a revenue perspective. It's um, an average, though, if you had to pin it down. Um, so the highest licensing price that we have is you're looking at probably $49 a user. Um, one conversation that's kind of top of mind is working with, with the IT group at Chevron. Um, you, know, you know, they have 60,000 employees within the company. So, you know, you do the right thing for your customers where you want to kind of do value-based selling where they understand what they're getting and there's high ROI for them. So, um, I mean, it's 50 bucks then about your average seat price or that's, that's like the highest you'd say? Yeah, that's our enterprise one. So we, okay. we always kind of work to get to that that enterprise level um, because customer success and integrations are such a key part of what we do. What, what would you say your average seat is? Like 20, 30? Yeah, the second tier is around 19, right? So that would okay. that would be probably the most common one. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, you'll, you'll get to, you'll get to the 49, but you won't probably stay at that level when you're talking about thousands of users, which, which makes sense. Yeah, of course. Okay. I just want to get that. So people listening can understand, okay, is this something I might be able to use based off the price point? Okay. So let's, let's get more of the story here. So what year did you launch the business in? Uh, so the company, um, was founded in 2014 and then there was, uh, kind of some wound, wound down time at Salesforce to get going. Um, so we probably started kind of aggressively on what we were doing, fundraising, bringing on investors, recruiting the team um, in early 2015. Okay. And how much have you raised to date? Uh, so we're right around $10 million if you look at um, our seed round, Series A round, and then, and then a bit after that. And why did you decide to go that route versus just kind of using your own capital, keeping all the equity for you and your team and bootstrapping? Yeah, I think um, you know, you're going to win based on how great of a team you can recruit. And I think there are very few circumstances where um, it's only one or two people, call them co-founders, where they can actually crack it. So uh, we had a very, very specific profile around how we wanted to think about the seed round, where we wanted to bring a large institutional investor, a micro VC, someone who just does seed deals and is very good at helping them get to the next level, and then some high value angels. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know it played out the exact right way, where ABC was was excited to lead our Series A. And who was that? ABC. Um, so founded by Joe Lonsdale, one of the Palantir founders, um, and just a great technologist, great entrepreneur. Um, and I think the ecosystem he's built at ABC is is something that's been really powerful for us. Got it. So take us back to, I mean, your experience with the Relay IQ really comes down to like customer onboarding, understand like how to make them sticky. I imagine you're thinking about things like churn and, and things like that. How do you think about those economics at, at progressing? I mean, what is your gross, you know, seat or logo or revenue churn per month? Uh, so what we really try to look at is how do we how do we have net churn that that's positive, right? So, you know, there's never really a scenario where we're not accelerating most of our accounts faster than say we're kind of downsizing in certain accounts. Um, but if you, if you look at kind of the industries that we serve, um, 
if it goes from a site-wide deployment to a regional deployment to eventually an enterprise deployment, um, you know, you look for kind of that that exponential growth curve. So it's definitely something that we we keep an eye on. But for us, I think it's it's more at the point where um, it's scaling into different locations based on especially being accessible uh, mobile tablet offline for again, the, the people who are kind of in the field and doing the majority of the work today. Looking at though, so obviously it's great that kind of net churn is negative based off your land and expand strategy, but in terms of just gross logo churn, I mean, is that something you care about? And I, I get it. And if so, kind of what is that and how do you drive it down? Yeah, we, we absolutely care about that. Um, it right now is not really a circumstance where with any of these kind of major enterprises where we're even in conversations that are kind of tied to if they'd be churning because a lot of it's a lot more strategic tied to how you want to work with them on the enterprise side, right? So that could be different integration points, different use cases that could be, they could be taking on the product. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's because we have kind of a named account strategy with some of these major players that we have in the industry. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm kind of understanding this correctly, you're very much playing in the kind of high ARPU, low velocity versus high velocity, low ARPU kind of segment. Do you kind of have targets and you want to go win those targets versus a no touch, you know, low price point kind of onboarding model? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, we, and we do have a mid market segment that we've carved out. So I think um, the velocity there is, is, pretty exciting where you could look at 30 to 60 days to bring on a new customer and get them deployed. Um, but the majority of kind of the revenue that we see ourselves doing is, is definitely this named account enterprise strategy. Okay. And how many customers today are you currently serving? Uh, we're still in the hundreds uh, when we look at how we want to put that together. Which Dude, that's, kind of pre that's pretty good if you're targeting only a thousand of the fortune, fortune 1000. Yeah. But some of those are in the mid market, right? So yeah. they're not, they're not quite fortune 1000. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's really important to just kind of have your first, your first handful of customers that, that kind of love the product willing to tell a story. And, and one of the things we really like about energy and utilities is that, um, there's a high, high network effect there, yeah. um, tied to how closely everyone works together and everyone understands the industry and also contractors. Um, so people that kind of cycle through different Word of mouth. Right. Yeah, no, I just interviewed uh, Jeff Moore, who wrote Crossing the Chasm, and he just articulated the heck out of that, which is target a really specific, the weirder the sector, the better, because the weirder people are, the more they talk to each other, and the more they recommend great products. So you crack one cookie and you're in. Yeah, we've also found a ton of success in kind of prospecting into energy utilities. I think, you know, they don't have too many people from Silicon Valley calling into them, but they're, <laughs> you know, they get the value of technology, which is exciting. What is the, um, uh, how many active seats do you have on the platform across these hundreds of companies? So it's kind of tough to say because I think we want to really price based on kind of active users where we see ourselves kind of being the platform that can help them with digital transformation. So get people off paper, get them onto this mobile product. And then we also have kind of like um, an enterprise player that we look at that has millions of seats on the product, adds tons of new seats every day based on some integration points, uh, but the engagement on the product is really low. So we're actually kind of exploring if we only charge people and kind of do like the Slack model, only the people who are on the product um, are, the, are the seats you're going to pay for. So, you know, you think about an engagement metric on 60,000 users at a company like Chevron, you know. What is, so what is your engagement metric? Like what's that one thing you track? Like at least one login per week or like what is the utility metric? 
For us, it really depends on what they're running operationally. So think like if the use case is more safety based, that's probably something that they're going to need to do every day. Mm-hmm. If it's a procedure that they might need to run quarterly, then the engagement is is more of kind of like a quarterly active user. Um, so we try to do a really good job of kind of understanding what are the classes of use cases within the account and really automating how some of those things kick off. So there's not there's not so much that they have to think about tied to when they need to do it and who needs to be involved. Okay. But I mean, so again, if you had to back the napkin though, like last month, average, like active seats, I mean, are we talking like 10, tens of thousands or still in the thousands or past a hundred thousand? I mean, generally speaking. Still in the thousands. Okay. Got still it. So but between a thousand and 10,000 across hundreds of customers, hundreds of businesses. Right. Got right. it. And some of these integration points too, that we're now working on, um, you know, plugging into active directory, tying into single sign on, um, Office 365 is a really exciting integration point for us too, just based on some some assets, right? So I think core documents and PDFs that you want people to have access to in the field. Yep. Um, yeah, so we think kind of like our, our user growth will be directly tied to some of these integration points. And what are you, I'd love to kind of understand more about growth so far, because you, you said you launched in, I guess, 2015. How embarrassing was first year revenue? What was it, do you remember? Uh, pretty low, and, and part of that was because we, you know, we did kind of like a paid pilot offering. Yeah. Um, so not not quite totally recurring to start. And part of that is because, you know, our You're brand testing. recognition. Yeah. And our brand recognition isn't socialist.com. Are we talking about like 10 grand though, or like 100 grand, or like, I mean, uh, do you north remember? Of 100, north of 100. Um, but really, wh- how we were thinking about it was what was our what was our pilot to expansion conversion? So they had kind of an initial use case that they want us to serve. Could we take that on and could we get them excited about additional use cases tied to how we looked at the space? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, you know, hundreds hundreds of thousands is how we're thinking Pretty about good. it. But yeah, well, First I think, year. you know, yeah, I mean, not, not, uh, not anything to write home about, but I think just the fact that some of these organizations were, were excited to work with us mm-hmm. and understood where we were going and hopefully where we'd be going together. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really the most important thing. And then, can, I mean, are you, how are you comfortable sharing kind of a sense of growth rate? I mean, what did you, between 2015, 2016, like, do you aim for 20% year over year growth or more or less and, and why? Uh, yeah, I'd say much more, right? I think we'd want to grow at a clip that's kind of a hundred percent year over year, yep. especially when you're, when you're, you know, you kind of have some negotiation leverage based on the size of these relationships. It's, I think it's actually easier for you to drive a high growth rate than it is for you to have, you know, your, your referenceable customers that are willing to get out there and help you tell the story to help you acquire new customers. Right. Cause our, our ask we're much more comfortable with the ask being, Hey, will you be a referenceable customer for us than saying, Hey, we really need, you know, another hundred seats on the product based on, based on what we have to hit for our metrics. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. What let's fast forward. It's uh, it's holiday season, December, 2017. You're there. Are you in your office right now, by the way? We are. You got that sick. I'm curious what that Don con and Colin count whiteboard is behind you. Is that your sales metrics? Yeah. Well, we have uh, kind of the round Robin. So <laughs> I love that. Our, yeah, we think about our mid-market accounts. Yeah, I love that. Through. Um, we, and we can't see too many of those, those numbers. We'll, we'll blur out in case there's anything yeah, you don't want to share. Try, I'm, I'm not trying to block it. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I just I know that was like kind of creepy. Um, uh, it's December 2017 holiday season. You're celebrating because you hit X MRR target. What would what would make you like ecstatic if you hit you know you get to X amount in MRR by December? Uh, there's not really too much I can say there based on how we're playing, uh, this relationship with shell, but I think, um, 
ignoring any big like cra- i mean it sounds like that would be like a game changer if you got it so like ignore any crazy circumstances it's it's actually much more of like an arr kind of calculation for okay. us than it is an mrr one just because it's not kind of like high velocity low arpu like you're saying yeah um yeah, but I think, you know, the, the SAS metric holds that once you get to your $5 million of ARR, you're, you know, you have, you have enough momentum to build a real business. And I think several of the customers that have, that have mentioned that, that we're working with very closely, I think any one of those can be a significant enough relationship for so us. You're, to you're, you're popping really... champagne if you hit $5 million in ARR and this, this, by this December, right? Yeah, we'd be, we'd be feeling good. And That's I think, awesome. you know, that, that means we have kind of the right the right champions at an executive level within some of these accounts and in the right kind of engagement with people in the field. And I think, I think that that's something that most of these large traditional industries have not figured out. How do you take IT's decision-making criteria and actually make that so it doesn't feel like it's a, it's a top-down decision that's actually not, not helping people do their job. Yep. And then, I mean, are, are you comfortable sharing, so we, again, so we can understand growth rate, if you have kind of a $30-ish average seat and less than 10,000 seats currently? I mean, is it fair to say you're doing less than 300 grand per month currently? Yeah. Yeah, okay. we're, we're less than that now. Um, and again, I think enterprise cycles, it's, it's very interesting and just kind of like inside of Salesforce, some of those, some of the largest customers that they have, um, you know, had purchased and you're talking kind of nine figure purchases yep. and then in the deployment yeah, and the deployment can actually take time. Right. And they can be, they can be very happy through that process because they're defining strategy together and kind of figuring out things on their end. Um, so you know, having, having the enterprise cycle in your business, I think it's something that's a little bit slower up front, but it has this, the, the ability to be really, really significant uh, growth over the long term when you kind of look back at how you've been able to build within accounts. And what is the, so tell me more kind of about your team structure. How many people are you at now full time? We're at about 30 folks. Oh, wow. Um, pretty, pretty heavy on product design and engineering. Okay. Um, and then on the, on the go-to-market side, we have kind of a standard enterprise inside model where there's sales development reps, account executives, and then, and then customer success. How many across those three uh, titles? Uh, six people total on that team right now. Okay, good. And then last, um, last kind of question here before we wrap up, do you have, is it still too early? I mean, maybe it's not cause you've raised so much capital. So maybe you've done tests here. Do you have a good sense of what CAC is yet? Uh, yeah, it's pretty, um, pretty efficient because not a ton of it is tied to kind of the, the typical marketing that you'd be looking at. Um, so it's well, well under what you'd be looking at for like first year of, of ACV. Um, so I think that's kind of the, that's your benchmark, right? Is can you acquire a customer for less than, than they'd pay you in year one? Am I um, reading you? I mean, am I understanding you correctly? Your payback period is significantly less than 12 months. Yep. Got yep. it. And I think, you know, and, and a lot of that's tied to deal size, right? So sometimes some of these larger enterprise accounts, they could take six months to acquire, but then initially you're talking about seat numbers that are very, very significant. Um, and I think that's, that's just a unique position that we're in um, where, you know, we think we have an opportunity to build one of the next enterprise companies. Um, you know, Evan Goldberg, the founder and CTO of NetSuite, he's one of our investors and advisors. I think just understanding kind of where you want to fit in the landscape is going to really dictate a lot around how you think about these economics and how you want to structure the team. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data 
uh, metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing though, this that database, I keep it to myself, it's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Okay, Top Tribe, I have to tell you, many people go, Nathan, you came out of nowhere, your website's growing so fast, how'd you do it? The answer is simple. So I use HostGator, I don't know if you guys know that, but I use HostGator, and the reason I do, they have like about 4,500 free templates I can use, because I don't code. They've got a great e-commerce plugin, and guys, I bug the heck out of their support. They've got 24-7 support, which I love. So what I've done is I've worked with them. You guys know I make great deals. If you go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan, you can sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45 day money back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to hostgator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. Good stuff. And Nick, uh, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? Favorite business book, um, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Yep. Um, is, is a phenomenal one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, again, I'm really, really excited about um, Jeff Weiner and Satya and how they can kind of come together. And, and I think Microsoft's going to have some really exciting years coming up. Fortunate that our, our CTO worked for uh, Dick Costolo at Twitter. So I, I get a lot of good learnings around how he operated. And I think Jeff Bezos is is really the person that you're always keeping your eye on with Whole Foods announcement and potentially Slack. Um, I think just one of the more innovative leaders out there. Number three, besides Jonas, our favorite online tool you have like HostGator? For me, I would say it's probably email, which is maybe a little lame answer, but I think email productivity is, uh, is so huge. Do you use and any I, tools I, there? Uh, we do, we have, we have a bunch of kind of the HubSpot tools. We also, um, I have a good friend um, over at Foundation Capital that was an investor in Pocket. So I, I love the notion of your, the save button for the internet, which yep. I use for that. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, definitely less than eight. I think <laughs> it depends on the night. Um, the quote I like there is that a lot of times it feels kind of like casino time, right? So you're up when you need to be up. Um, so I'm probably around, probably around five a night. And what's your situation? Married, single, do you have kids? Uh, engaged. I'm oh. actually getting married August 12th. Oh, congratulations. Very good. And no kids yet, right? No kids yet. And no kids how old yet. are you, Nick? Uh, 29. All right. Last question. Take us back nine years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Great question. Um, I think being patient is super important. I think asking more questions earlier. Um, and I think optimizing for being around the best people um, has played out really well for me, although I didn't I didn't quite understand that was the strategy early on. <laughs> there you guys have it from Nick Candido. He cut his chops early on at Relate IQ, learned a lot there. Obviously, that was a success, successful exit to Salesforce. Now back in 2014, 2015 timeframe, he's launched Progressly, really wants to be the operating platform or the system of record for folks, uh, companies, and their process, all the processes they run through all their employee set or vendors or, uh, or contractors, things like that. They've got a team of 30, again, focused on this problem, raised $10 million, serving hundreds of customers with less than 10,000 uh, seats served, less than 300,000 bucks in MR. But his goal is to hit a $5 million annual run rate by the end of 2017. Nick, we're rooting for you. Thank you for taking us to the top. 
Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed Dick today, go back and listen to Anindya Dada yesterday. His company used evangelical Christian mobile data to influence the past U.S. election. Whether you love Trump, hate Trump, love Hillary or hate Hillary, you don't want to miss this one. It'll get you fired up.